Greetings, fellow imps. I'm Imp Fossil Tom Henske, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, Where Incarnate Memories Prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to now here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Ben Arthur in the Imp House. What's going on, my man? How are you? I'm good. How nice to see you, uh, even virtually. And thank you so much for doing this charming project. What uh, what inspired you to get all these uh, fossils clanking around together? Well, it's funny. You were my first conversation on podcasting. You remember back uh, in the maybe not in the middle of COVID. Yeah, probably somewhere smack in the middle of COVID. We were talking about uh, podcasting. I thought it would be cool to do or to learn how to do. And we were just having these imp meetings that Ross was putting together on Zoom. And I said, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we had some sort of Where Are They Now podcast? And then it kind of just took off. And uh, you've been awesome. I'll plug you <laughs> way ahead because the first email, this is what I love about you. Like we have such a good relationship. The first email I got from you uh, regarding the podcast, I think started with WTF question mark. <laughs> How could you not be asking me for music? Yeah, come on, man. Don't be using that like sad ass, you know, other people's music in here. Like we, what do I got to do? Like I got to beg, I got to throw something at you. Give me some dignity, man. It's, it's messed up. It was awesome of you to even <laughs> offer it. So I was like, oh yeah, that's great. Like this, this is where I, this is where I'm left. Tom is like I'm begging like close friends to use my music. Come on, just in your podcast, it's fine. And and go ahead. I was gonna say. So is the big plan to monetize your, uh, you know, your nostalgia here and and start getting those big podcaster bucks for uh, the imp. Uh, nowhere now here thing yeah well i'm kind of thinking that if i could get to know enough of the imps and have them on that when i see them in whatever city i'm traveling to they'll feel uh, obligated to buy me lunch or dinner so (laughs) i'm actually my business model is to figure out how much money i'm going to save on food per episode you're probably like really good with charts and stuff and, and Excel and you should be able to like put together a pretty good uh, income, you know, uh, expectations, all that stuff. Like that's your that's your wheelhouse, right? Yeah. And I've been thinking also I'm probably going to have uh, advertisers. So I'm th- <laughs> so um, things like uh, Mincers, I think, would be a good advertiser. Biltmore. Huge. Uh, the White Spot now that I heard Ralph Sampson's taking over the White Spot as of uh, this week or something like that. So so, yeah. So there are a lot of business people listening to this. If you have any business ideas of how we can monetize this, let's figure it out. And then we could put it in a tuna fund. So we'll do some sort of reunion and it will pay for the tuna. I think that's about how much money we can make on this podcast. 
Yeah, who who needs uh, you know mattress companies, Casper, when you've got those sweet white spot bucks coming in? Like, yeah, that's the life. I mean, I'm gonna be rolling in it. It's gonna be hard. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be taking my private jet and be doing these interviews uh, live. So that's my next thing. That that's my goal. Thanks for bringing that out, Ben. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally get it. I think you and uh, whoever that horrible bald guy that everyone listens to are are gonna be like really good friends. It's gonna be awesome sign me up i'll be the the bald guy with hair right (laughs) i mean let's see let's see you're holding on pretty good like on the zoom at least i can see i can see like you know there's maybe a little more forehead than there used to be but i think you're doing good you're doing good but i've got some gray so we'll we'll, we're gonna avoid doing this as a video for as long as possible (laughs) all right so you're avoiding talking about you which is totally your style so i want to hear from the beginning and it's funny that we knew each other so well back at school that I don't know that I know the background as to what you were doing in high school and why UVA. So can you actually bring it back to that? Sure. Um, so my older brother is Adam Arthur, of course, uh, who, as we've already learned in the podcast, is a filthy redneck um, who never cleans his uh, his coverlet, as I understand it. That's what I've learned anyway. Um, by the way, I love that Tony is like, yeah, I got to UVA and I, I got to understand redneck culture by meeting the son of a college professor and a lawyer. It's like, man, Tony, I have got some rednecks that you have got to meet. If that is like your idea of true redneck... We, we're going to take a trip. We're going to go up into up into Higgins Hollow and, and meet some folks. It's going to be good. I love Get that. some bluegrass love going that. on. Yeah, Tony had some. <laughs> she has some fresh perspective. Let's call it uh, awesome perspective. Extraordinary. In Tony's episode, I had my finger on the beep button just to be able to make sure that I beeped out any profanity or prolonged beeps of things that you know shouldn't be said. So you were being an uh, an Adam wannabe by going to UVA. So here was here was my big plan. In Virginia, I grew up in Virginia. There were the two schools and UVA, of course, and William and Mary. And I decided essentially with doing no research, doing no like uh, visits. You know, there's no internet uh, to speak of back then. That if Adam went to UVA, then I was going to go to William and Mary, and that way I would like you know strike out on my own. And then sadly, I did a visit to William. And I was like, oh, no, this place is terrible. <laughs> and uh, and so then I ended up coming to UVA. Um, and yeah, it, it, uh, it was, a, I think, a very different experience for me than for, you know, lots of folks um, being a musician and, and definitely coming at it. Like, I, I wasn't even really sure I wanted to go to college. Like, I knew um, at that age that I wanted to be a, a musician and that uh, I wasn't convinced that going to a college was like the best path to do that. It, it turned out fine, and I'm glad. I went there, obviously made some extraordinary friends, um, especially amongst the uh, crowd. But it definitely wasn't a um, one of those, you know, the only way forward for me is to, you know, get my doctorate or whatever. Not not really where I was coming from. Okay, so you get there the first day and you're actually probably already familiar with the grounds. Yeah, because all through high school, I would come up and visit Adam um, and, you know, stay with him in his dorm and, um, you know, get in- incredibly trashed, like horrifyingly trashed. Um, I remember in his second year, I think he had this uh, weird little apartment that had 
a um, a screen porch and there was a, a keg out on the porch. And I remember, you know, one of the worst hangovers of my life was the night I walked through the screen door, like just trying to pull it off. Like, yeah, I'm look at me. I'm a cop. And mind you, I'm like a junior in high school at this point, trying to just just to like pass off as like not a total child, which I was and uh, walked through the screen door. The whole thing came crashing off of the hinges and uh, everyone looked at me and it was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still shaking off the embarrassment to this day. And that was the worst hanger of my life. I remember eating a cracker like really slowly, just like little tiny nibbles of, of like a cracker for about a half an hour uh, before I could recover from that. So, yes, I already knew um, the grounds. I, you know, uh, had the great fortune of being able to like meet um, Adam's crowd and and hang out with a bunch of fourth years and, um, you know, meet Blank and, and Calvin and, you know, Tony and, and uh, you know, a lot of folks who who would end up being, you know, in my life for a long time. So, yeah, that was that was delightful. And I'm, I'm grateful for it to this day. So do you kind of feel like you disgraced the family name? Because sure, <laughs> like after you went through that screen, I'm sure while you got to leave, he had to deal with the result of having a brother who couldn't handle his alcohol I, and walk through a screen. No, is that not now, accurate? Well, I, I, a, I think that's entirely accurate. B, you also have to keep in mind that when you can disgrace a, a filthy hillbilly, um, like Adam, like, you know, you, you think you can't fall out of bed when you're already lying on the floor, but somehow I managed to, to find some sub basements, um, to drag poor Adam's reputation, uh, through the mud even more that that's accurate, Tom. Well, we're going to have Adam on at some point to defend himself from all these podcasts, but I think I'm going to put him in the way back of the line. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just so much fun, all the material we have to make fun of him that, gosh, why would I, I don't want him to be able to defend himself yet. So just. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, that should definitely be a kind of, a, yeah, I, I think that would be a good outcome for your podcast. If, if it was all building towards the, the sort of the reveal, the Robert Durst reveal, um, you know, of course I killed them all kind of thing. Um, that would be, that would be, I think, a really good angle to, to work. So, so take me through this. You get to grounds. You're like more of a musician type. I'm almost entirely a musician. Yeah. Like what does one major in at that point? So I was not one of the Eccles scholars who was, um, you know, benighted, you know, and asked to come in as an Eccles scholar. I applied um, and and largely as as my way of trying to make sense of how I, I wanted to live in the world. It was clear to me that I didn't that I wanted to be a musician and it wasn't clear to me how to apply uh, what I was learning and the time I was spending to doing that. Um, and the Eccles program seemed like a good way to sort of get all of the various pieces that I imagined I would need. I was, of course, 100 percent wrong um, about all of that. But go ahead. I don't think I knew any athletes that were Eccles scholars. So I've been for years, I've been holding in this question that I've been wanting to ask. So what is an Eccles scholar? I know that people who were Eccles scholar, I, I wasn't like smart enough to ask someone while I was there. So what, <laughs> what is that? 
in short, you know, the, like the nerds that you would pick on in high school uh, with all of your cool jock friends. That's the Eccles scholars. <laughs> that's like that's where we ended up. Um, so and, and it's funny, it does actually rotate in a, in a weird way around jockdom, because the way uh, Eccles was explained to me was you get to take whatever class you want um, as long as you get 200 or whatever credits, um, then you you're, you're going to graduate. Um, you make your own major um, and you get your classes before everyone in the whole college except the athletes. <laughs> we, we were right by the athletes. And, you know, however cool that might made it make us feel, the athletes were always there to, to let us know that we were still nerds. So you're saying that to add insult to injury, not only did I pick on you because you were a dork, but on top of that, I got to choose my classes like by st- uh, sight and uh, stong probability at eight o'clock in the morning was another one that we all took, uh, how things work. So you're telling me I got in those classes first, even though you were an Eccles scholar. Happily, a lot of the classes that you wanted to take were not classes that I wanted to take. So I, I don't think there was a lot of competition between you and me for for bicycle. Um, but theoretically, if you had wanted to take like uh, the weird um, tiny class about uh, utopian societies taught by Richard Rorty, um, then you and I would have had to duke it out. But uh, I, I, I think it was just me and the nerds for the most part. Yeah, you're probably right. I wouldn't have taken any class that had the word utopian in it because that would be another word. And that was before Google. So when I needed to look up a word, I literally had to pull the Webster's Dictionary out and look at that. And that would have taken two minutes to look up utopian. So that's probably why I would like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a different world. Uh, the Internet, it, it is it, it kind of blows my mind, like trying to, you know, you were saying the other day, talking to your 14 year old and trying to explain uh, going on a march. I I feel like I'm constantly trying to talk to my two kids about like what the world was like pre-internet. Like, yeah, commercial. Like we we were out in the country uh, visiting a relative and uh, we happened to be in a house that just didn't have much Internet. Like we we could check our email, but that was essentially it. And so we were watching cable TV and there were all this like terrible commercials on and they'd never had to sit through them before and like suffer through the indignity of like watching your fourth rerun of like the Taco Bell commercial or whatever terrible trash was on the terrible trash TV that we were watching. And uh, it was like, yeah, this is this is what it used to be like. You didn't get to like choose, uh, you know, any one of a million high quality shows that you can watch for free at any time on any, you know, thing. Anyway, it it is funny how much the, the world has changed. It's like memories of having to go to the computer lab to type up your papers, right? Remember that? Yes, yes. Floppy disks in the house. Yes, yes, that was my first my first band in college, the floppy disks. But people keep thinking that it was a different thing and misspelling it, and it was really embarrassing. Oh, so many things that I can't say on the show with that, just in case my kids break into my computer. Oh, I see, I see. So you're trying to to like get all of us to say all this humiliating stuff. This this brings me to one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Tom. Who is going to interview you? And again, I am going to volunteer uh, when the time comes to uh, to turn the tables on you. 
That's funny um, because uh, Gray just emailed me this morning on that and he wanted to know the same thing. And I said, yeah, I think that's uh, a 2025 agenda <laughs> item. So we'll see how that goes. It's much it's much better being on this side of it because you can control the narrative. So, <laughs> well, you used to be able to, but then you had like me on here and now I'm messing up, up all your, your beats, I feel like. Totally messing me up. The worst. So you get to like UVA and you, you, you find you get in your classes, albeit second class citizen behind the athletes. <laughs> behind the athletes, always. You're taking these classes and then tell me about what it was like socially for you. Give me that background. Uh, so you want to depress your listener. I get it. I get it. Sometimes, you know, you, you bring them down before you, you bring them back up. Uh, it was fine. Like, honestly, UVA... Uh, and and again, this this does sort of uh, connect to you know athleticism and and the sports world, which is to say, I always felt a little bit uh, you know like an outsider within uh, UVA culture. I mean, and in some ways, that's true of of you know everything like musicians. That's part of our our DNA. But particularly because UVA was so oriented towards sports, I was thinking that like, have you ever gone to like Comic Con or something like that? I haven't, but tell me. If you go to Comic-Con, it's like all of these people who are deep into a thing that you know nothing about. Like they might be wearing a costume, like they know all of the characters. They have these intense questions about like, you know, X, Y or Z storyline. And you just feel like, man, what in the world is this? And, and you're like, you're not mad at them. Like it's their thing that they're into. I was like that uh, at UVA um, because it, it felt to me like sports comic in many ways where like everyone was super into a thing that like I wasn't upset about. I just didn't give a, a darn uh, about um, at all. And so that was one of the the sort of weird places that I found myself in. And actually the imps, you know, sort of solved that problem for me in two different ways, um, which is to say I, I was able to find my place um, socially and was also able to connect with a bunch of people like you and, and like, you know, a lot of the other extraordinary sports folks that we had um, in a way that I never would have otherwise. Like that, that you know, it, how often can you really talk to a guy and, and get to know him when he's stuffing you inside a locker or giving you a swirly. Like, it's just not, <laughs> it's just not the world. You know, it's hard. It's hard to reach out, you know, like that. Well, you know, that is one of the beauties of the imps. It's like, um, which of these is not like the others. And it's, um, I remember just that. What is the most random group that you could possibly put together? Oh, let's call them the imps. Right. And that the beauty of it is it allowed you to have access to a different part of the university that you wouldn't have stayed, uh, you wouldn't have been able to see just focusing in your little world. For me, it was my athlete world, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Beyond Clockner Stadium and U-Haul and Brian Hall to eat, uh, that would have been, I, I would have thought that was the university. So that's that's awesome that you said that because I feel the same way. And you and I coming into the Imps at the same time, right? We we had that special bond because we were, which, which of these not like the other that I just mentioned. And, <laughs> and I think we really loved it, right? I did, yeah, I really did. And, you know, I had tried on sort of the, the frat, 
uh, world um, had had rushed Sigma Chi and had, you know, pledged there for a while before realizing, like, this is just not my scene. This is not who I want to be. This is not who I am. And had walked away from that and uh, felt sort of at loose ends and was actually, like, rooming uh, in a house with a bunch of Sigma Chi dudes who I was, like, really, you know, tight with. There's, you know, a bunch of them are still my friends, but I still didn't feel like I had uh, a clear place. And that that was absolutely um, what the imps, uh, you know, gave me. And it was incredibly valuable to me. Like it's, <laughs> it's almost embarrassing to admit how much having like that silver ring and I would wear it around grounds as sort of like a little talisman to be like, okay, like you might feel like you're this out of place dork, but there's the paint on the steps and here's the ring and here's your connection to it. And not only that, but we also got to hate on a different group, you know, the Zoomers. It was a, a delightful mix um, and having the chance to, to connect with folks who I otherwise wouldn't have, you know, on a Sunday night or, or on a march was, you know, incredibly valuable to me and, and sort of made the experience at UVA um, into a, a narrative that, you know, I, I, I enjoyed and felt a part of in a way that, that I, I really didn't before. So tell me then, OK, the imps. Uh, so Adam was already in, I think, probably. And do you remember like the practical joke they played? Any of the lead into it? Can you give us any background on what happened? You know, so I was a second year, um, which uh, felt rare and and lovely to me. Um, was I a first year? No, I was a second year. Anyway, um, the I don't actually remember the the joke that was played. It wasn't very good and it didn't make much sense. It was fine, but I, I had a pretty clear picture fairly early on, although I was surprised what was what was going down. Um, but I will say, um, hearing some of the stories um, in the podcast before, the one that stuck out to me was Maria Doyle, um, because I was in on that one. And that was, I think, my favorite one, because we went to her. She was the executive editor at the Cavalier Daily, I think, at the time, or one of the two newspapers. And we brought in one of the the football players and said that he was there to report that a bunch of his co-football players were cheating. And with the honor system being what it was at UVA, it was a huge deal that like a guy would go on the record and report his entire team. And she flipped out and and like we actually had to shut it down because she began giving instructions to shut down the presses for the next day and and we actually had to like blow the joke early because she was like ready to roll she was ready to like you know Woodward and Bernstein the whole thing and blow it up and that I think was my favorite joke because it, it, she it, we scared the living daylights out of her um and it was it was great I'm a little disappointed to hear that but that she <laughs> that she would actually fall for that because there was never any athletes that cheat. I mean, that is like the most obscene thing I've ever heard. Wow. She was gullible. That was, she was an easy target. Very easy target. I, I, uh, apparently so. Yeah. Apparently it just never happened. Um, from, from your tone is what, what I'm, I'm gathering again, I was stuffed in a locker at this point. So I, I wasn't really in on, on that whole scene. Yeah. You're probably reading into my tone a little bit there, but we can move on. I might be. So, okay, so you're now an imp, okay? Any stories, either imp or non-imp related, that you remember that uh, from the university? Give me some stories. Uh, 
stories from imp or or unimp related. Uh, I don't know. Nothing. Uh, nothing really leaps to mind. No, no. I take that back. Uh, I did think of something earlier. Um, again, you know, humiliating me and my brother. Um, but I remember there was a, a late night on the lawn. Um, that the two of us decided in a, a drunken uh, moment of idiocy to race. And we always had like a really intense rivalry and, and a rivalry, which was like entirely unfair because he's three years older than me. So like whatever, like, you know, arm wrestling or whatever, whatever we're doing, I'm going to lose. But at this point, we're like, you know, both grown men. And, and like, I feel like for the first time, you know what, I am going to drunkenly beat this guy in this race. And it, it was really, it was a dark night. And the two of us like started tearing down the lawn and, and like, have you ever had one of those things where you're like, oh, I'm goofing around and this is not a big deal. And then suddenly it gets really serious, really fast. It was like that. And we hit one of those bumps in the lawn without seeing it. And both ate the dirt so hard that like we had like, you know, grass in between our teeth and like, you know, grass stains all up and down our clothes. It was it was the most egregious, embarrassing. Like if there had been phones back then, there would be footage of the two of us in like black and green night footage just being the most ridiculous, embarrassing uh, idiots that that we that we were. Um, so that, that was one that I, I always kept close to my heart. Um, just the dumbest things, uh, the d d dumbest looking thing I think I've, I've done. And I've done a lot of dumb looking things. Well, you know, that doesn't surprise me when you think about it, because I don't think I see any retired uh, jerseys with the last name Arthur on the back of it <laughs> at the university. So like, no, so you guys no. tripping, that yeah. is not at all yeah. shocking to me. In fact, yeah, no, it, it, it really, it fits. It, it, it does fit. It's almost like a stereotype, like a hurtful stereotype that like, yeah, that is still kind of true that uh yeah if that's true that that is accurate we're aiming at um offending people on the podcast so that's a, <laughs> and that's a but without saying anything that could upset your daughter in however many years down the line that is that is a tricky tricky split yeah the, the comments in the notes section that people are leaving are can you be like more offensive to your guests <laughs> It would, it, would, it would make it better. So, oh, that's that's great. I'm I'm excited that I'm uh, I'm you know getting the the first of your uh, your punches. Come on, bring it, man. What do you got? Yeah, pandering to your audience. It's always a winner. It's always a winner. <laughs> so okay, so the name of the podcast is from nowhere to now here. So you're nowhere, hmm. and then all of a sudden you wind up in Charlottesville, and now you're here, and now here is in New York. So give me the scoop. Yeah, what, what are you doing now? Uh, right. So still a musician. Um, I work on a bunch of different projects. I'm a songwriter. And one of the ones that I've been working on most recently is a, is also a podcast that's you know part of our conversation uh, called Songwriter um, and it's a podcast of uh, stories and answer songs so uh, an author or a personality will tell a story um, you might have like Joyce Carol Oates or Michael Ian Black or Roxanne Gay um, or George Saunders um, really extraordinary people that I get to to talk to um, and then you'll have a, a songwriter uh, write. And, and perform a song that they've written in response. Uh, so, um, you know, just like uh, Sweet Home Alabama, you probably know is an answer song uh, written in response to Neil Young's Southern Man. Um, Nicki Minaj's Anaconda is an answer song in response to Baby Got Back. One of the best songs ever. 
<laughs> little in the middle, and she got much back, if, the, if memory serves me correct, right? Uh, it sounds like you were quoting chapter and verse. Yes, that's correct. And uh, This Land is Your Land was actually a, a response song to uh, God Bless America. Um, so it's a it's a long-standing form um, is, you know, artists responding to other artists and just sort of uh, curating that uh, experience and finding, you know, two voices that will, will be interesting together. So the third season is coming out in a couple of weeks and we'll have Cheryl Strait and Amanda Shires and, um, you know, just a lot of really neat people, Katie Malua and Joyce Carol Oates and Roxanne Gay and Toshi Regan and Celise, just a lot of really extraordinary artists. Essentially, the, the bottom line is I get to stand next to people who I really admire. And, um, you know, it's it's like, uh, I don't know, being a, a hot bridesmaid. Like, I'm not I'm not necessarily the bride, but like I get to stand right next to her and, and, and then people look at me, too, maybe. That's awesome. So much fun. Do you, do you have, do you have, um, we'll put in the show notes how uh, people can kind of listen in on some of that. I assume? Sure. Songwriterpodcast.com and, and you can get it wherever you get podcasts. Uh, we're distributed now, um, by American songwriter magazine. Um, so there are articles that come out in American songwriter and paste. And then it's also distributed in segments on acoustic cafe, which is a syndicated radio program that airs for about 2 million folks every week. So that, yeah, it's out there, out there in the world. And of course, if you're, if you, uh, are friends with me on Facebook or uh, follow me on whatever uh, channel you are battered with uh, repeated terrible um, uh, you know reminders uh, constantly to check out this or that. In the attention economy, unfortunately, it is uh, just a never-ending slog to throw your things at people and ask them to uh, pay attention to you, which is, you know, to be fair, what art has always been, but it is uh, particularly so now. Well, I was talking to one of our imp uh, fossils yesterday, and she was telling me that she's writing a book. So I wanted to ask you the process of songwriting. What's that like? <laughs> That's a broad question. The process of songwriting uh, is like all art. Songwriting is attempting to translate your human experience, the, not just sort of a story like, you know, I went to the store, but what it feels like, you know, uh, in between your ribs um, and translate that into something that you can share um, with someone else and connect your experience to their experience. Um, and, you know, that at heart is what you're trying to do. And, and, to soothe yourself, I think, uh, like something that people don't talk about as much as I think they should, as we should, as artists, um, is that art is a way to feel less scared and freaked out and alone. Like the process of doing it is the point of doing it. It's like yoga. Like you never meet a yogi who's like, yeah, I did it for my ripped abs and, and for, for my excellent uh, flexibility. You do it because the process makes you feel better about being a human being, makes you feel more alive or more connected to the world, to your fellow man. And that, that at heart is what art is from my perspective. That's awesome. And Thanks. Thanks. your your favorite song of yours that you've written? <laughs> mine? Oh, that's horrible. Um, my favorite song of mine. Uh, you know, I, I don't really listen to my stuff 
all that often. Um, but I know that a lot of people like a song of mine called Keep Me Around, uh, which was off of my third album, uh, which was a, a sort of, it was an answer song to Paul McCartney's When I'm 64. Um, and I just sort of took it a little step further and, and essentially in the song say, you should uh, definitely keep my, my dead body around when I'm gone. Um, but I'm also really enjoying working on my uh, either 11th or 12th album. I can't remember um, right now. And, and I wrote a song in response to George Saunders's uh, story, the 10th of December um, called if you need me. And I'm, I'm looking forward to releasing that in the, the spring and, and seeing what people make of it. Um, I'm it, it's, I actually, this has not been announced um, and is not guaranteed to happen. Um, but uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, George Saunders is this, um, you know, celebrated uh, writer, just the most extraordinary dude, a uh, uh, MacArthur genius, and um, one of the most important writers. I, I think he's like the sort of today's Hemingway. And he reads a story that Amanda Shires, um, who's this breathtaking country artist, um, is writing a song in response to. But the story is so long that I, I wanted to cut it in half so that the episode wouldn't be like, you know, an hour and a half long slog for people, um, even though, again, the story is brilliant. Um, so uh, I started thinking of who could do an answer song, uh, and it occurred to me that asking someone to go head to head with Amanda Shires is terrible and the most terrifying thing you could demand of someone. Um, so I decided I had to do it myself, um, which is also a fun excuse to, to put one of my songs out there in the world um, as well. Um, so that... Uh, that will be out this um, this season, and I, I'm excited and and more than a little terrified. So there you go. This one is gonna disappoint all the imp women around the world, but tell, tell us about your family situation. Oh my lord! Uh, the idea that anyone would be holding a flame for me all these years is—I uh, I mean, like honestly, if you were like, you've got to look at yourself. Like you've got to aim higher. You got to think more of yourself um, as a woman. Like you've got to respect yourself and 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 you know uh, get someone to hope for that is better than you know uh, a filthy redneck's younger brother. Like you can do better. Be better. So they know they're getting a confident person in you. <laughs> That's what I bring to the table is confidence, 100% confidence. No, um, uh, my wife and I have been together now more than 30 years. Uh, we, we were high school sweethearts and uh, remained together through UVA. She came to uh, a dirty joke banquet, as I recall, um, all the way from Fredericksburg, Virginia, where she was going to school. And we live in Harlem uh, in New York City and have two uh, daughters, 13 and 15, um, who are extraordinary ordinary and funny and weird and uh, utterly delightful. Um, I, I I was not someone who uh, felt like fatherhood was like always a thing that I was thinking about. I, I know some people, uh, but maybe not as many dudes as women, but I know people who like that was part of their dream and it, it never really was for me um, until I had kids and, and then it was like oh this is the answer got it I, I feel much better having kids is such a, a weird trippy experience for me because like you get to see a little version of yourself like someone who has your weird tics and doesn't like to touch the cotton in the top of an aspirin bottle the same way you do and like all that weird stuff except growing up and like going through these moments with that you can't even remember from your own life um, you know, when you're two years old or whatever, and, and there is a sort of sense of like hearing a door creaking behind you slowly open and being like, oh, right. Got it. OK. And that's 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 me. That's me moving on. 
Well, you've just uh, hit rock bottom because clearly <laughs> no one will say that one of their ticks is the cotton on the top of the aspirin bottle. So so, so if, if anyone tries to top that, it will be humanly impossible from this point on. Listen, I want to say that I come from a place of privilege that is so intense and so uh, earth shattering that for me, one of my major, no, it's not true, but I, I, I hate it. Like, I just hate touching that cotton. It's so gross. It feels gross. I hate cotton in general. Like, I just don't like the, the like a little ball of cotton up against my skin is just not, not my favorite. So yeah, no, it's, it's a weird tick. I've, I've got a, I've got a couple others. I'll, I'll tell you about All it right, later. We'll, we'll move away from that first world problem. <laughs> move on to some other things. So before sure. I do, uh, what, what are the kids into? Do they follow music? What, what, what are they up to? So this was fascinating. My wife uh, tried to get me to like, you know, browbeat our children into being musicians uh, since they were just little kids. And of course they're little kids, you know, they just want to run around and knock stuff over and, and scream a lot. And I always resisted getting in there and, and, you know, putting any pressure on them. And I think in hindsight, that turns out to be, you know, uh, the right response, at least for my kids, because both of them have turned into musicians. Uh, my younger um, child plays piano and sings uh, beautifully, and my uh, older uh, child plays uh, banjo, mandolin, guitar, uh, sings, and is a songwriter. In fact, I'll, I'll hit you with a line that she wrote the other day that I thought was so good that I, I, like, I, I literally wanted to steal it, and I just couldn't figure out how to do it. The line was... Um, I asked her if there was a safe word. She told me that love would do. Like, tell me that's not a great line. It's a solid line. See, and it's that's got to be genetics, right? Because, <laughs> you know, my, my uh, son, I think he wrote some music, too. Um, and, you know, obviously coming from my genetics, he's probably going to be an excellent songwriter. Yes. He said, whoop, there it is. Okay. I I've, I think uh, yeah I think that's an answer song to the song uh, "Womp There It Is." Is that is that right? Uh, yeah, and then he has like a beat to it too that goes "Um Shaka Laka 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 Laka." Solid. And do do, do your kids play soccer? Uh, they do play soccer, both of them. Uh, it's pretty much a rule in our house that you don't eat unless you play soccer. Uh, I, 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 you, you can imagine I'm not an overbearing father. I'm very, like, loose, not a lot of rules. Uh, both of them play goalkeeper. Um, you know, so, like, why would we go and change? Why would I have to learn a new position? No, gosh, no. you got all this institutional memory that you need to pass down. Yeah, and my son was so intrigued uh, with my coaching. I was coaching at the local high school that when he got into high school after his freshman year, he decided that he was going to have to transfer schools. So he transferred to another school uh, to avoid playing for me. So yeah, there's like a lot of love in the Hensky <laughs> house. It's, like, it's probably just like your house too. You know, people, my, my kids aspire to be me. Oh, perfect. And that's okay perfect. because I can't imagine anything else. I mean, when when you get it right, like, why would you change the recipe? That's what I'm saying. Word up, brother. That's what I'm saying. So, okay, so let's get off of that before I get in any more trouble. Sure, sure. You went through your UVA experience, and it shaped your life. And I think what I'd like to know is, if you were talking to an imp today, what are some pearls of wisdom that you would give them, you know, give back to your 20-year-old self? 
however highly you are rating love, you are underrating its importance in your life. And that goes not just for your person that you might end up with, um, who is incredibly important, who will be your business partner, who will be your confidant, who will help you stand up when you inevitably fall down, who will be your lover, who will be your friend, um, but also just the people who you surround yourself with. Those people are what are the difference between your life working out well and not, which is to say, you can have the most successful career and the awards, the money, all of it. And if you don't have love, your life will be miserable. And conversely, no matter what you face, if you are surrounded by people who you love and can take care of and who love you and will take care of you, your life is going to be fine. You're going to get through it. And that would be my advice for young imps. It's funny, like writing a sad song is how I got uh, tapped uh, to be an imp, as I recall. Um, and John actually mentioned Sam, his friend, um, who who was so sick and, and who passed. Um, I think the reason, and I don't actually know this for sure, but I, th I think this is true. I wrote a song about Sam and his wife's struggle and, and how lovely I thought, you know, the two of them were being fierce and brave in the face of... Uh, unspeakable uh, heartbreak. And I wrote a song, you know, the way I still am really responding to uh, them, wrote a sad song for them and recorded it and, and passed it along. And I think it was John, uh, if I remember correctly, who, who wanted to, you know, to nominate me to be an imp because he thought that was, you know, uh, moving, I guess, or, or it meant something to him. And, and that has always meant a lot to me. That's awesome. And then that that really sums up the relationships, right, that are built. <laughs> no, I no, I got paid. I was like, yeah, hindsight, you're you're paying for the recording session. And if you cried, then it's double. No, I, I did not get paid. And um, but but John and I have, uh, you know, had a, a longstanding connection and, and it continues to this day. I think he used a song of mine for something just the other day uh, for a fundraiser, which was lovely. But actually, I wanted to mention, John was saying, you know, he, he wants uh, big projects to work on. And I wanted to mention to all my fellow imps, a big project that uh, is very music centered and probably doesn't speak to anyone but me. But a thing that I pissed about and, and want to change, including at UVA, if possible, like when I went to school at UVA, I studied music and music in those days, uh, as I, th I think to some degree it still is right now, was focused on jazz and classical music. The things that I do now, the things that I am interested in now, were never really a part of the the repertoire. And that continues to this day in most colleges. Although music, contemporary music, is so central and is such a giant economic part of the arts. Like if you put music uh, up against really any other art, like everyone else is gasping along on grants and, and uh, you know, funding from arts organizations. Music is this giant art that uh, just brings in tons of cash, relatively speaking. And yet for some reason, these universities do not 
sort of put contemporary music in a place uh, in the place that it deserves to be uh, and songwriting in particular songwriting is a giant complicated art and there is a poetry program and there is a playwriting program and there is a classical program and there's a jazz composition program in every university in America and for reasons that I cannot understand there are not majors in songwriting except for in a couple of uh, places in Nashville so I am volunteering essentially to to work on the uh, making songwriting the national art that it it really should be and and uh, the place that it deserves in our in our culture. Like songwriting is such a an easy thing. Like everyone can do this, and yet it's it has this uh, this place in the culture that uh, makes it into a magical you know thing that that not everyone can do, and it's just not true. Like we we all. Like when you sang your kid, like, uh, you know, keep brushing for a whole minute or whatever, like you're writing a song and it's totally fine that you used a, a tune that you, you've heard before. Um, it, it is weird to me and I'm mad that songwriting um, is such a, a, a distant art relative to uh, all of these other acting. Like there's an acting program at UVA um, and, and you know, w- what are the amount of actors who are going to come out of there? Like how many teeny phase, Tina phase have we been able to produce out of the University of Virginia, but there have been all sorts of extraordinary songwriters um, that, that, you know, I, I want to make songwriting into uh, the giant national art that it should be. That's awesome. Imp Nation, you heard the request. Don't, now that you've got it, come on, somebody step up. <laughs> Let's get this going. So, all right, we're getting at the end of our time, I know, but I've got to ask you, your favorite word with the letters I-M-P in it. Yes, uh, I, I I wrote it down. Uh, imperfect. I knew you were going to ask me this, and imperfect was the word that uh, that uh, struck me because um, imperfect imperfections are the things that are that make us human, and and especially in in music and in art, uh, the imperfections are the things that um, make something so unique and extraordinary. And I always try in my in my songs um, to. Uh, find those imperfections that um that sort of get you um destabilized and make you uh startle a little bit and 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 put them uh within within the art because uh you know it 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 is also true of of us as humans our our imperfections are also the most interesting and uh extraordinary parts of us uh so that's that's my word however I want to push back on this idea of IMP words because the people on episode 300 are going to be like scraping the bottom of the barrel and and suggest instead that it, in respect to our dirty joke banquet, um, you know, roots that you ask everyone for their their best dirty joke. Oh, that's a good one. Well, well, you'll notice that there's uh, I'm trying to put our smarter imps on the back end because they'll be able to think of things. Thank you. Thank you for the compliment uh, that you that you have enclosed in there. I appreciate that. that. That's why, you know, you're imperfect, right? You know, you're imperfect. But hey, you might be imperfect. I might be imperfect. But our friendship is perfect, man. Aww, it is such a joy to reconnect with you during uh, this. And I, I love this project. I think it's uh, completely charming and delightful. And I've, I've enjoyed every single episode. Thank you.
You are the man, bro. I know we're going to, as soon as COVID is, uh, the pandemic is done, we're going to be catching up in New York. But in the meantime, take care of yourself, take care of your family, and Imp Nation, make sure you're passing this around to the fellow imps. Don't share it with the Zoomers. Until next time, (laughs) we'll see you soon, everybody. Take care. Thanks, Tom. Bye. Hi there, Tom here. Before I let you go, I want to tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing. Don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense. C-E-N-T-S, as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.